The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Father, thank you for the privilege to be here. My, my heart is full, uh, not only from the day, but Lord, the, the joy it is to be uh, face-to-face with this, this church in its infancy that I've heard so much about, that we've prayed about. Um, Lord, if the number of magnets in our church congregation is an indication of the prayers that are being prayed for King's Cross, uh, this church can know that there's a, there's a congregation in Franklin, Massachusetts that is lifting up your name and praying for your grace uh, to come here in a fresh and provocative and demonstrable way, Lord. And I do pray even this evening in light of the, the wonderful person and work of the Spirit that Jesus talks about, that Scripture reveals, and that we, we, we can know and enjoy communion with. Lord, I pray that you would join us at the table. Spirit of God, fill this room. Enlighten our minds. Use your word and use the ministry of illumination through your word to not only answer questions, but Lord, create uh, an even deeper desire, a greater yearning, a fuller hunger, a more heightened expectation that we can know you, know the Spirit, and be used by you to accomplish great things for King Jesus, our Savior. And this is his name we pray. Amen. Let's open to the Gospel of John. And um, that was a very generous introduction. Jacob, the only part I agreed in everything you said was we are good friends. We have talked a lot about this church, and I do love to talk about the Holy Spirit. So uh, everything else, I wasn't sure who you were describing in the room. But uh, John chapter 14. This is the upper room discourse. It's the last night of Jesus' life. He's hours away from um, his betrayal, arrest, crucifixion. Um, and death. And this is what he says to the disciples beginning in verse 1 and then I'm going to jump down to uh, verse 15. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Verse 15. If you love me you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Those words are worth underlining. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Drop down to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Let's look at one other passage. Um, turn over to chapter 15. Verse 26, <clears throat> after t in telling them that the world will hate them because of their love for Christ and their obedience to his gospel, he tells them this, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will bear witness because you have been with me. And then 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. You will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So, here's the setting. This is Jesus' farewell discourse. And like in so many parts of our Bible, Moses in the book of Deuteronomy and his farewell sermons to the, the people of God in the plains of Moab, Paul to the Ephesian elders uh, in the book of Acts. And here, what people say before they die or what people say before they depart is it's not only important, it's intended to resonate in our hearing. It's intended to have a sticky quality that stays with us, that we, that we return to and think about and, and consider. And so as you read through, and we as a church are going through John's Gospel, as you read through, beginning in chapter 13 through chapter 17, Jesus' final words, he comes again and again and again to this vital topic, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Of all the things he could say, of all the things he could remind them of, of all the things he could disciple them in, of all the things he could draw their attention to, of all the things he could say about the future, John has captured for us what was very close to the Savior's heart. In this tender moment where he's preparing them for his departure, he's seeking to, to uh, encourage them in light of their fears, and equip them for the mission that they will be commissioned on, he talks to them about the person of the Holy Spirit. And he makes this, at the end of it all, this aud 
audacious statement. Did it, did it stun you? I read it so quickly, it probably didn't. It is to your advantage that I go, chapter 16, verse 7. It is to your advantage that I leave. It is to your advantage that I depart. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. So think about that. Let's, let's kind of step out of our, our, our familiarity with this verse. He's been with them for three years. They have encountered in his earthly ministry miraculous demonstrations of power. They have sat under authoritative teaching that has riveted their attention. They have seen before their eyes the, the long-awaited hope, the fulfillment of the messianic hope in this carpenter from Nazareth. They have been the object of his personal care and tenderness. He has prayed for them. He has eaten meals with them. He has encouraged them. He has wept with them. He has laughed with them. These are his closest friends, and he says to them on his last night before he's about to depart, it's better that I leave. In other words, the Holy Spirit in you is better than me standing beside you. I don't think any of us believe that. I wouldn't. I would not have a... I, 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 even hearing that, your not being with us is to my advantage. The Holy Spirit being in us is better for us, more advantageous to us than having Jesus in the flesh being right next to me to encourage me. See, I think if I really believe that, if I, if that, if I internalize that, if that word shaped me the way it's intended to shape his disciples, we would talk about the person and work of the Spirit constantly. Because Jesus apparently did on this last night. Here's a, here's a testimony and, and part, part of the reason so you know my bias on this subject. And, you know, it's kind of like with a piece of fish in New England. But it, it, it's it usually pretty good, but there's always some bones in there, so you've got to spit them out. So you can discern what the bones and what the fish are, and you can spit out the... Um, the first time that I, knew, that I, that I heard the gospel... Um, as a senior in high school, uh, was um, through the very person that two weeks before we had purchased a pretty substantial quantity of illegal uh, medicinal things, drugs. And there he is. We were assigned seats. It wasn't that I chose to sit with George that day. We've been assigned seats. There he is. And as I'm bringing up the quality of the stuff he sold me, he brings up out of his book bag a Bible and starts reading to me from the scriptures and asks me in so many words, if you die tonight and stand before God, your maker, will he let you into heaven? I said, he sure will. I was John the Baptist in Godspell, and I'm a deacon at my local church, and I serve communion on the fourth Sunday, and... I said, no, that, he won't let you in with that. 
And I was looking at George like, what got into you? He brought me to a meeting about a month later. It was a Wednesday night. There were about 3,000, and I'm not exaggerating, this is talking about 3,000 public school kids, <laughs> many of whom were, were new con um, newly converted, some of which were me, and we sat under preaching that was about the gospel, about Jesus, and, and his work as our substitute, and his atonement as, as the basis of our forgiveness and reconciliation to God. And there was a clear and, and, and compelling invitation to turn from our sins and to put our trust in him. And I walked away unfaced because, quite frankly, the stuff that we were smoking that George was providing and the parties that they were providing was far more exciting than what he was telling me. Or, and then I went home. I'm sitting there in my room, and without my permission, that message that I heard took on a life of its own, and I began weeping. Now, and when you're a senior in high school, you don't cry about anything. I certainly wasn't a crier, and I began to not only weep, but I did what I've done a lot since then. I began to smell my carpet. I mean, I began to face plant myself on the carpet. And I began to bawl my eyes out, and it was as if in that moment, like this book and that message came alive in a way that I had never before. And all I knew to say in those, those first tender moments of conversion was, Jesus, forgive me. I have sinned against you. The next morning I went downstairs and <laughs> put tears running down my face still. My parents thought it was a freak show. I asked them to forgive me. Because in that moment I realized that one of my chief expressions of rebellion was my hatred for my parents. I stole from them. I had threatened to hit one of them recently. I was, I was just an out of control, spoiled. My conversion and was not alone. During that 10-year period during the 80s, tens of thousands of people were called into the kingdom in what's been called the mainline revival of Philadelphia through a church that had been planted, not unlike yours, by a family, the DeMoss family, and they, they simply planted with this vision. We are going to preach the gospel to the next generation on the suburbs of the main line, and we are going to pray and keep praying until God grants that harvest. They would. And here I am 25 years later. That conversion not only stuck because it was powerful, but that that conversion created a trajectory in my life that led to mission here in New England. I think what Jesus is getting at when he says it's, it's to our advantage that the Spirit indwell us as our helper and our teacher and our, our counselor and our friend is that, that he has things he wants to do through each of us and corporately through the church gathered, that, that the Spirit ha is uniquely equipped and, and uniquely able to, to accomplish. One of those things that the Spirit has been uh, equipped to do, if you'll flip back to John chapter 14, 
It says there that I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Verse 16, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. And then again in verse 26 of chapter 14, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring it to your remembrance, all that I have said to you. One of the, the, the chief preoccupations of the Spirit's work is to build our lives on this word. Because this word reveals Christ, whom the Spirit was sent to glorify. He was sent to the church in Pentecost to build the church on the gospel. Because the church exists to make much of Christ and the spirit which birthed the church has been sent to assist the church in doing that. And he builds the mission that we as individuals and we as churches have through the word, by the spirit, that much would be made of Christ. Uh, there's a guy I know, uh, his name is Egbert. That's kind of a tough name to live with, huh? Not as tough as growing up with the name Bauer, but it's, it's a tough name to grow up with. But you wouldn't say it to Egbert's face because Egbert is a retired NFL football player. I don't know what his friends call him for short. I bet they can call him Egbert. But he's got a neck like... Um, like the Jaws shark, you know, like there is no neck on the Jaws shark. It's just massive. Uh, I believe he was a defensive lineman or defensive back um, and became a Christian, was, was converted, um, I believe uh, during or, or just prior to going into pro football, and then suffered uh, a, a very serious spinal injury which ended his career. It didn't cripple him, but it's, uh, um, and, and so his career ended. And this and that, and the other thing happened, and Egbert um, is now in um, full-time ministry. Uh, he's a pastor, he's a church planner, and he um, serves in an urban setting. And so one day as he's walking down the street, he experiences acute pain uh, in his neck and spine. I mean acute pain, piercing pain. And there uh, in his line of sight is... Um, um, I don't know what you call it, um, but it, it basically it's where you go in and you get like a massage. You know, whatever, what's that called, Jacob? Yeah, masseuse. Okay, so he wasn't planning to get a masseuse, but it's, he's, he, is, he is in so much pain uh, that he's, he says, I've got to go in and, and just have someone rub this out. I don't even think I can walk anymore. And so he walks in and um, he, the, the woman who uh, greets him, uh, she's covered in, what's that, not, what do you call it when your arm's covered in tattoos? She's got, she's got those sleeves on, okay? And she's kind of she's, she's strong, and, and uh, he explains what his, his situation is, and she takes him into the room, and he puts his face in one of those uh, donuts, right? And she begins to work at his, um, work on his neck. And he's, you know what happens when you're getting masseuse, you're drooling, and there's pain, and, and, um, and he starts to feel nauseous, too. And so he begins to pray and say, Lord, what is going on? My neck is killing me. I'm, I'm in a place as, as a pastor, I probably, you know, I'm not sure my church would really understand why I'm in here. And I'm about to throw up through the, the donut that I got my head pressed in. So there he is, and she's digging in. And, and um, what comes into his mind, this happened in the last year, what comes into his mind 
um, is the story of the woman at the well with Jesus. And so in the midst of the drool and the nausea and the intensity, he says, you know, do you ever think about spiritual things or some lame question like that? And the, the masseuse stops. And then she goes back again. And um, Do you mind if I tell you a story about a spiritual encounter someone had with Jesus? And she said, that's fine. And so he begins to tell her the story from John about the Samaritan woman and Jesus' encounter with her. And you know the story. You know, a woman of many husbands who's living an immoral life, and there's the Messiah seeking and saving the loss at a well. And all of a sudden, he starts to hear her crying. The masseuse stops, and she starts whimpering. He still feels nauseous. He's still drooling. He's still in intense neck pain. But he kind of, he turns his head around, and he sees that the woman who's, is crying her eyes out. 30 minutes, he's walking down the street, minding his own business, tense neck pain, goes into a masseuse, being worked on, just to experience alleviation, feels a prompting through, through some thoughts he has to share a, a random story from the Bible with a woman he doesn't know, and now she's weeping. And he says, are you okay? And in so many words, she says to him, well, you're not going to believe this. Sure, she said something else, but um, last night, my, my lover, my live-in lover of so many years, left me. And what I can't figure out is that the day before, my grandmother gave me one of these. And I said, before I realized my boyfriend was going to leave me, I said, if I'm going to read this, someone's going to have to come to me and explain to me what it means. And here you are telling me about my life. So at that point, he wipes away the drool, and he realizes the nauseous wasn't just physical. It was spiritual opposition, because he's been praying the whole time. He never, he, you know, he rarely got and she goes and leaves the room. And as he's coming out, she's gathered the whole staff and basically says to the staff, I want you to meet the man that just told me the story of my life. That's the work of the Spirit. That's why it's to our advantage that the Spirit has come. Not only to lead us into truth, not only to build our lives in the word, not only to empower the church to make much of Jesus, but the spirit who indwells with us is seeking and searching and using the church to reach out to the lost in order that they too can make much of Jesus. So that's why I personally get excited about this topic and personally love teaching on it. It's because the reason my life has been changed so that I can make much of Jesus is because of the work of the Spirit through the Word of God and the Gospel. And the reason why Crossway Church, planted 15 years ago by God's grace, is not only established, but last, last year, first time in our history, we had six adult conversions. Six adult conversions. I mean, it was, like a, it, was like a tr it was like a truck drove over the church. That's after doing about 15 to 18 Alpha courses where we had none for 10 to 12 years. 
And boy, you introduce conversions to a church like Crossway, and it changes the culture of the church. It changes a lot of things. Who's doing that? What's enabling that? What's empowering that? Who is at work in all of that to make much of Jesus? It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God. So as we begin, and again, this is more topical, and, and what I want to encourage you with tonight is that Jesus has something to give us tonight at King's Cross Church. It's the same thing that he gave to the disciples following his death and triumphant resurrection, and he continues to give more of it to the church that's on mission. He has more of the Spirit to give us. It is true, and Jacob will teach you well in this, that at our conversion we are indwelt by the Spirit. Otherwise, we could not believe and repent in the gospel. But it is also true that we need subsequent empowerings and fillings and visitations by the Spirit in order to be faithful and fruitful and effective in our mission. Just ask Egbert. Just ask any church by God's grace that is seeing faithfulness and fruitfulness in mission. The Spirit has been given to empower us for that work. And Christ and his promises to us is that he desires to give more of himself to us. Let's look at another passage. Uh, flip with me to, uh, still in John's Gospel, to John chapter 7. In John chapter 7. No, not John chapter 7. John chapter... All right, let me pull up my notes. Yeah, John chapter 7. I'm sorry, and I'm in Luke. John chapter 7. This is Jesus at the time of the Feast of Booths, it's a national festival where thousands are gathered in Jerusalem. And at the conclusion of the feast, in John chapter 7, verse 37, on the last day of the great feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom you believed in, in who, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I just want to draw attention to, if you mark up your Bibles, highlight this. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I was a Freshman in college, I was a new believer, and I had gone to a Bible study uh, that January taught by our campus ministry leader, um, which basically taught from Scripture 
that the, the ministry and work of the Spirit was exclusively through the, the, the work of the apostles, and that now had been inscripturated, and, and therefore um, his ministry and his work among us was, um, was the Bible. And so read the Bible. They said more than that, but basically to, to desire more from the Spirit besides what we read in the Bible and believe was. So I took their notes, and I went back to my room. Isn't this ironic? Similar to my conversion. And I just said, Lord, based on these scriptures, if you have more of the Spirit to give me, I'm thirsty. I want more. Give me more. Would you give me more? It was a Saturday afternoon. I remember it vividly. I'm sitting on the edge of my little bunk bed in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, Church would be in about mm, five hours. We met on Saturday nights, too. I had been a Christian for about a year. Didn't know much. Was still sinning a lot. Not that I don't sin a lot today, but I was, had some bad habits that I brought into my, my, that my pastor was working with. And something happened. God answered that simple prayer. I became aware of the presence of God. And in a matter of moments, rather than weeping this time, I mean, this is the best I can describe it, it was as if I was drinking liquid fire. I just, my, my, my heart just began to just burst with, with like flames. And all I knew to do was to, again, prostrate myself in the presence of God and say, Lord, what is this? And I knew something had happened because that went on for about two hours. And I walked down to a gentleman in my hall who was a Christian. I said, did you see the Ten Commandments? Yeah, I saw it. Is my beard white right now? <laughs> and I didn't have a beard. Is my hair white? Chris did have a beard. No? Why? Because I took that Bible study we went to and I simply said, Lord, I'm thirsty. Jesus, give me more of the Spirit. And I feel like I've been drinking liquid fire for about two hours. I went to church that night, and for the first time, I'd been going to this church for six months. It was a church like this. When, the, when they got up to sing and they, they stood, I, went, I grew up in a church where we, we, we certainly didn't raise our hands. We never closed our eyes. We stared at a book, which I'm not saying that's wrong or evil, but that's, for the first time, I not only stood... But my hands were raised. My eyes were closed. I couldn't get enough of Jesus that night. And then by God's grace, I went back to my dorm, and that week I shared the gospel, albeit not as wise as I could have been, with almost every person there. I didn't care what they thought anymore. I was just aware, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good he is good through giving me more of the Spirit, and it empowered me to worship him with the gathered church and to be a witness for him. And later that year, I became a DJ and what was called the Hour of Power with Bauer, mockingly, I think. <laughs> and every Sunday morning from 5 a.m. to 11, we would play Christian rock records, and I would, I would read from Scripture and share the gospel. And oh, by the way, since it was college radio, it was broadcast into the cafeteria and into the uh, dorms and into the classrooms. I mean, it was Sunday. No, it was in the classrooms. What gave me the 
boldness to do that. I'll tell you what gave me the boldness to do that. The Spirit of God, which loves to make much of Jesus, even if it's on the altar of your foolishness at times. So Jesus, King's Cross, has something to give you tonight as you're getting ready for public services or, or you're getting ready for um, neighboring or you're getting ready for the meeting. He has, something to give, he has more of the Spirit to give you. It is to your advantage, he says, that I give you more of this because when he gives us more of the Spirit, we make much of Jesus and things start to happen. Last one. Uh, in Ephesians, wonderful passage. Jesus is speaking through his sent one, Paul, the apostle. Ephesians chapter 5. He's urged them, he's in fact commanded them in verse 1 to be imitators of God as beloved children, to walk in love, verse 2, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then he walks through some put-offs and some put-ons, some imperatives about what it means to, to imitate God and, and walk in love towards one another and obey Christ. And then he says this in verse 15. Look carefully then, chapter 5, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here we are in Ephesians, and Paul is giving these, these instructions and commands in the latter part of his, and as, he, as, he is, as he's heading for home, he gives, beginning in verse 15, what I believe are not only individual, have individual implications, but he gives these corporate commands. Verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. So I, I believe that not only is Jesus giving the Spirit to us individually when we ask him, and we should ask him, for repeated fillings and empowerings. And, and I believe that King's Cross, Jesus wants to give to your body, to the church, to the gathered people of King's Cross, an impartation, a fresh filling every time you gather. In other words, we can come to the meeting expecting this. God's word says, and therefore God's promise is true, that when we gather, he desires to give more of the spirit to us as a body so that we would make much of Jesus, so that we would make melody in the Lord with our hearts, so that we would sing and encourage and pray for one another 
as believers. So at Crossway, we, we regularly say that, that, that the, the Sunday gathering, which is when we gather, by, by God's design, is to be a, a gathering where we are empowered by the Spirit to make much of Jesus, whether it's through the teaching of the word or the, the songs that we sing or the serving that we do, that one of the purposes for our gathering is that Jesus has more of the spirit to give to all of us. So that it's not just the, you know, the, the, the more charismatic or continuationist personality or it's not just the, the people that like to, to pray more. No, it's for the church to, to enjoy. It's for the church to experience. It's for the church to to be built up and filled. And so if I can encourage you by way of application that one of, the, one of the ways we can pray for King's Cross is pray to be filled with the Spirit as a body of believers. Pray that Jesus would give your church more of the presence of the Spirit. And this will be the evidence. You arrive beat up or discouraged or distracted and you leave focused and grateful and rejoicing in Christ. You arrive uh, aware that there's a battle out there and that there's opposition to your ministry and you leave filled with a sense of expectation that God is at work building his kingdom. Recently, last story, uh, at, at Crossway, this was really cool, um, we had a uh, encouragement, a prophetic word um, that that the Lord would uh, provide uh, water, living water to our church uh, in ways that we had not experienced. In other words, the work of the Spirit. Um, what they didn't know is that Franklin has a, uh, has a water pressure problem, and so that, that in the town of Franklin, we don't have water bans. Like, we, we have all this water rationing we have to do all the time because they have issues with... And actually, when the building was built, uh, the water pressure was, was so overcompensated that it blew the couplings off uh, the, the water pipes one Sunday and filled our entire basement with water. Um, so we became like the talk of the town, like this new church that has all this water pressure. She just took all our water. And, um, like three or four Sundays ago, it was a normal Sunday, normal service. We've been praying for this. We, we, were, we were encouraged and, 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 and we're anticipating that God wanted to minister. We, we sang a worship set. I don't like what you sang. And after 30 minutes, and we have a church, not all of who wants to sing. So we have people in the back that don't like to sing, so they stand there with their arms crossed. Um, we have people that, that struggle with the noise because the volume's so loud. We finished a worship set. And when the worship set was concluded, we did something we've never done before in our history of church. People just began to sing spontaneously. And it was coming from the back, for crying out loud. You know, the folded arm area. And there were no instruments playing, and there was no melody offered. And we just began to sing to the Lord. 
And I looked at the worship leader and I was like, what are you going to do? <laughs> and so thankfully, he didn't do anything. He just began to sing too. And that went on for about, I don't know, maybe five minutes. But at the end of the meeting, when we invited then a response of ministry and come up and pray, let us pray for you, having just heard God's word, we had a dozen people come up. And these are New Englanders. A New England prayer request is a silent request, I've been told, meaning no, you, don't, you don't mention it in public and you don't acknowledge it to others. We had 12 people up there that wanted prayer. One guy who was brand new was just blubbering his, his eyes out. Big, big, bald, muscular guy. I don't know what was going over there. I, well, actually, I did. The Spirit of God had touched him during the singing, and he wanted more. And so to encourage you, King's Cross, when we gather together, even without a prophetic word, the Spirit has revealed in Scripture that one of his purposes is not that we would get drunk with wine in order to, uh, to deal with our problems, but to be filled with the Spirit that we would make much of the Lord. And in making much of the Lord, it would be a melody to our heart too. Let me pray. Lord, it is to our advantage that, that you have gone away, not only in in dying in our place and being raised triumphantly, defeating death and accomplishing our salvation. But Lord, you're now in the highest place, seated at the right hand of majesty. And you are eager to give us more of the Spirit. And so we come to you tonight, Lord, and we desire what you are eager to give, more of the Spirit's presence in our hearts, more of the Spirit's empowerment in our lives and in our work and in our, in our ministry as a church, and more of the Spirit's joy in making much of Jesus. Lord, would you fill us, even this evening. Lord, we come in Jesus' name, and we come eager and anticipating and, and thirsting for more, knowing we're not overcoming any reluctance in you to give us more. In fact, it's your delight to bless your people with more of the Spirit's presence. So would you have your way, Lord? Would you fill us, Lord? I pray even too, Lord, that, that uh, you would stir up, even increase our faith this evening with, with perhaps words or in, words of encouragement or prayers or even prophetic encouragement for people here. Lord, you're always at work, and your work is always good. And so work among us, Lord, by your spirit, for your name's sake, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Can I tell one more story just to incite faith? Um, and, you know, <coughs> this was not an example of expositional preaching, or, uh, but um, 
when I dated my uh, wife, and we did date, we didn't know what courtship was, and, and uh, so uh, um, I told her my dream that one day I think God was going to have me be a church planner. And she said to me in her inimitable way, these are exact words, she said to me, we've been married for 25 years, she said, over my dead body. <laughs> and then I told her where I went to church plant, and I said the Boston area, and this was back in like 91 or whatever, and she's like, Boston? If we church plant, I will never move to Boston. So we were in care group one night, and uh, Alan Redrup, who was our pastor at the time, he had married us. He came over and said, can I pray for you guys? You know, you're newly married, and, you know, I just want to pray for you. And so he came over, and Alan's this big guy, and he put his hand on me, and, and he starts laughing. He steps away, and I go, Alan, what are you laughing about? They're going to pray about it. I don't take this the wrong way, but I see money bags falling out of the sky. Now, I'm a Christian school teacher at the time. I, I, money in Christian school teaching is not associated. Linda worked for an architecture firm, but she wasn't making that much either. And, 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 he, and he just said, I just, the Lord wants to encourage you that he will provide for you, and he'll provide for the purposes he has for you. A year later, we were, we, I was in a class called All You Call, and I was being taught about ministry and church planning from the scriptures and being envisioned, and God was speaking in that. And my dad called me. Linda had been there for the money bag prophecy, and she also was there when she said, over my dead body, are we ever going in the ministry, let alone New England, church lane. My dad comes and says, Bauer, you're not going to believe this. What do you mean, Dad? My dad's a lawyer, you know, so. I got a call from an attorney in, in New York, and do you remember Bobette, your godmother, and she left some money with you years ago, and we used it to pay for college? Yeah. Well, it turns out that about two-thirds of her estate was never distributed. And that she had stocks that, for whatever reason, weren't liquidated at the time of the will being distributed. And they not only have earned dividends, but the, 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 the stock has multiplied like six times. Have you ever heard of the company called Merck? No, I've never heard of Merck. Oh, it's a pharmaceutical company, which in 1990 was like... And so I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, freak you out, but there's a lot of money that is, is waiting for you in your name that we just have to go to the lawyer and. So when I went home that night, I said, Linda, you're not going to believe that. Do you remember when Alan prayed and said money bags? And then I took the call class and we were thinking, you know, if, how would we ever do this? I mean, I could never afford to go to pastor's college. I could never go to seminary. I could never afford to live in New England. I could never. Guess what? Those money bags are on the way, and we need to start to pray. My point in sharing that is that God, by his spirit, wants to encourage us beyond what we can ever conceive or imagine for the sake of his mission, for the glory of the Son, and he will do so in ways that will shape your life forever. So as we, as we close and return, I just want to raise your level of expectation. I don't see money bags falling out of the sky for King's Cross. But I do believe, because Jesus is here, when he gives us more of the Spirit, it is to our advantage, because he has great things he wants to accomplish through us. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. 
Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.